Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. Well, good morning. Well, happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to show you what I got. I got a present for Thanksgiving. If y'all can see them, I got National Lampoon's car on my socks. So we went to, uh, we did something on Thanksgiving. We went to Marshall's, well, the day after. And we all had to buy a special gift for the person we picked the name out for. Well, Laura got my name, and she bought me the socks. I just happened to get her name, and, she, and I got her cookies. Last night, she was re-gifting the cookies. They're for sale out there today. So just saying. So thanks, hon. Um, tried. Let's just pray. <laughs> Father, we just want to say thank you. You are a good, good Father. Amen. Lord, we just come to you and though we on Thursday said all the things we're thankful for, we just today again say thank you. Because you use us, God. You, you move through us. Your Holy Spirit is always resounding in us. And Lord, we just say thank you this morning. We just thank you for what you prepared today for and you prepared to say through me. Father, I just I yield myself to you today and just ask that you just speak. I just ask for ears and hearts to be open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, there's, a, there's a story I just heard about a lumberjack. And, this, and I told this story at our work, but I'm going to tell it again. There's a lumberjack, and he cuts down 15 trees a day. And he does really well. But he goes home every night, and he sharpens his axe. And every night, he's sharpening it and sharpening it. To one night, he sharpened it so much down that he had to go buy a new axe the next day. So he goes to the store, hardware store, and as he's walking to the hardware store, he sees a sign. And the sign says, there's this new tool that you can cut down 100 trees with. And he's like, I am the number one lumberjack in all of Arkansas. There's no way. So he decides to buy it, takes it home. And the first day he uses it, cuts down five trees. He's whooped. The next day, he uses it, cuts down six trees, and he is just, I mean, he's just done. Next day, three trees. He's through three trees, and he's just like, I'm done with this thing. Takes it back to the hardware store, asks for the manager, puts it up on the desk, and he goes, man, I, I cut down 15 trees, and with this, every day, I can only cut down five, six, three trees. And the manager goes, really? That's really odd. So he takes it, and he puts a little gas in it, puts a little oil in it, and takes it and goes, boom! And the lumberjack jumps back and goes, whoa, what's that? So how does that relate to a preaching? Because my, my family doesn't laugh at me anymore, so I need you guys to humor me. <clears throat> we have a manual of how to do life. And if we read the manual, our job is a lot easier. What we go through in life becomes a lot simpler when we read the manual of how to do life. You know, Tom's been talking this whole year, actually, about simplify, amplify, and multiply. I'm going to make sure I got it right. <clears throat> and recently, he's been talking about Joshua. And, you know, Joshua went in with 12 people into this promised land that they're supposed to go into. And when he went in there, he saw what could be conquered. Ten other people saw what was an issue and a problem. And... When Joshua came back, he gave the story, and he says, no, we can go in there. And the other guys say, no, we can't. And so because of their unfaithfulness, their disbelief that God could actually bring them through, from everything else he just brought them through, um, 
They had a wonder in the desert for 40 years. And I started thinking about Joshua because I wonder what Joshua went through for those 40 years in the desert. I wonder if he had to get over the bitterness that he was going through. I wonder if he had to go get over the hurt. I wonder if he had to get over the anger that he had towards those 10 guys. I wonder if he had to do a check in himself for 40 years. Another thing I wonder is if he had to develop under a good leader named Moses. If he needed that time for those 40 years to, of development to just listen to this guy who is very wise that learned from God. I wonder if he had to recognize his gifting to lead. Because he didn't have really a gifting up to that time to lead. And so I wonder if he actually had to recognize, man, I can actually do this. He took 40 years to wander in this desert. And he turned left the whole time. He's going in a circle. And he's turning left. And he's turning left. Until one day he gets to turn right. And you know right before he goes to lead, Moses says, I'm not going to go with you. And what does he say? To, what does Moses tell Joshua? Everyone knows. Be strong and courageous, right? Do you know what he said? Moses told him right after that. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, verse 6, he tells the people, be strong and courageous. In verse 7, he says, don't be afraid, Joshua. In verse 16, he tells Joshua why he should be strong and courageous. He says that these people are going to go into the land that I'm giving you. They're going to prostrate themselves before other gods, and they're going to forsake me. But I'll tell you what, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Go take the land. What leader would go, man, I want that group? I think all of us would go, no, I'll take another. You know, is there another one, God? Do you have another people you've been choosing around here? Maybe in another, you know, is there another planet? Something like that you can put me on? You know, I heard you can move me from place to place. You can do anything. But he told him to be strong and courageous. He was developing him during the process. And you know, life may not go the way we plan. We just need to do what God tells us, even when it's uncomfortable and we don't understand. Joshua probably didn't understand why he was supposed to take this ragtag group of people into a land and they were going to walk away from him. But he did. You know, it's in the desert of discomfort and hurt that God grows us the most. I'm going to tell you a story. I got permission to tell the story. The story's about me. It's, a, it's about me and my relationship with my oldest daughter. You know, being a parent is hard. It's really hard. Because you birth them, you want them. You still want them. <clears throat> And you grow as much as they grow along the way. Yeah. And you don't realize it till later. Yeah. And uh, I was not going to cry. And I told my kids that. <laughs> They're like, hey, take the tissues, Dad. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm not doing that because I'll get made fun of later on. Thank you, Raquel. <clears throat> you know, I had this, uh, my, I, grew, I grew up with my daughter, of course. Um, and in around 2017, she graduated high school. And about that time, she started growing as a person, and I did too. And 
she needed to learn things in life, and I needed to learn as well. And uh, between 17, 18, and 19, it was just a struggle. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just a struggle, as we all may have with our kids. Yeah. And, you know, in May of 2020, uh, we sold our house, uh, moved into an apartment, and it was about the same time Elise moved out. And uh, it wasn't a good moving out. It was a hard moving out. And I asked her when she moved out, just do me this one thing. It was a Friday night. I said, could we just go see a counselor? She said, okay. Um, so Laura and Elise went twice a week for four or five weeks. And the around the first week of June last year, uh, I was on a Monday, we talked to this counselor, and it didn't go well. We always, when we leave, we say we love you. That was the one time we didn't say we love you. She left, we went back into our apartment, and uh, and the next morning, I'm praying. And I get up at 5, I get up 4, 35 o'clock every morning and pray. My parents taught me that. And uh, I'm laying on the floor. And I'm bawling before God. I am literally crying out before God. And I go, God, it doesn't have to be this hard. I just love her. And I say, I could give a rip if she walks with you. I could give a rip if she goes to church again. I could give a rip what she does with you. I just want my daughter. I just want a relationship with my daughter. About an hour later, I'm working out, I'm still in the same room, doing rubber things, and I was listening to a guy named Todd White, and he was speaking from Matthew 5, and he's talking about, blessed are those who, are who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I said, God, I'm mourning. And he, and he asked me a question. It was this little voice right back here, because that's where it says in Isaiah 43, I think it is, where he says, you know, you'll hear a little voice, and it'll tell you to go left or right, and then you'll know which way to go. And he asked me a question. He says, what's been the prayer of your heart for the last nine months? And I said, I know exactly what that is. I said, Ivan Blessis stood up here. And he said that what changed him was when he started praying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And God said this to me. He goes, now you, now you know what breaks a father's heart. When they stand in front of their child and they go, it doesn't have to be this hard. And I'm not talking about my relationship with Elise. I'm talking about our, my relationship with my father. Yeah. Where he goes, all I'm doing is standing in front of humanity going, I'm just here for you. I don't want anything from you. I just want a relationship. Yeah. And I'm just like, now I understand. And he goes, now you understand what a father's heart is towards a child, what a true father's heart is. And about that time right here was this little whisper that says, now the relationship is resolved. On Friday, we went to the counselor again. It didn't go well. And afterwards, I asked Elisa to come with me and Laura outside. And uh, I said, just keep telling me about what you needed to tell me. And she did. And then I said, can I ask you a question? And I said, it seems like the more we go to the counselor, the worse it gets. Nothing gets counseling. This was our experience. And I said, we've always done this well. And God's always worked in us. I said, what do you think about us just trying it with God? And she said, that's what I've been thinking also. And from that day forward, for the last year and a half, it's been really, really good. I mean, really good. And I just wonder what we need to do when we're going through those issues of life. 
that's my story. It's an example of my relationship with the, my daughter that God took me through. But some of us are walk, walking through relationships with our kids. We're walking with relationships with a spouse. We're walking through an issue with work. We're walking through just many things. Most of the time, the relational is our issues in life. When I, when, I, when I wake up at night, it's a relational issue that I'm thinking about. Did I hurt somebody? Did I say something the wrong way? Did I, was, I, was I overbearing? And those are usually what I'm not usually waking up thinking, gosh, I wonder what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Or something like that. Most, a lot of people do. I don't. It's mostly relational. In the struggle, maybe we need to ask this question. What am I supposed to learn through these times of distress and suffering? Instead of asking, man, God, would you change them? God, would you fix them? Would you, would you do, maybe, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show to me? Romans 5, verse 3, 3 to 5 says this. It says, we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance produces character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. See, it's during our suffering that preparation and perseverance and character and hope is happening. God is looking for us to see the hope in the situation and not the situation. See, too many times we're focusing on the situation, and we're talking about the situation, instead of talking about the hope of what's to come. So today, I'm going to speak about We Three Kings. That's my title. I thought it was kind of cool. What they teach us in times of distress, hurt, and attack. The first one is King David. And King David was, uh, he's now set in as king. He's, what happens is in the springtime, the kings would go out to war. They'd prepare during the wintertime. They'd you know, spend time because it's cold and that. They'd be preparing for the land that they're going to take. They'd send out their people in the springtime to plant you know, for the harvest time in the fall. And then during the summertime, they'd go out to battle and they'd try and take land. Well, that's when kings went out. But this time, David didn't go out. He stayed back. And when he stayed back and he didn't do what he was supposed to do, when he didn't read the manual... It went bad for him. He was up on a rooftop, saw a lady naked named Bathsheba, invites Bathsheba to his house because she's very beautiful, has, has sex, has adultery with Bathsheba, then finds out Bathsheba's husband is one of the lead guys out in the army. Well, he has him killed, trying to solve the problem. Comes back, finds out Bathsheba's pregnant, goes, oh crud, marries Bathsheba, baby's born, Nathan rebukes him, curses, Bash, curses David, said the baby's going to die. David cries over the baby after the baby's born. Baby dies. David washes himself off and says, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to do life differently. David then has more kids. He has this guy named Amon. He has a guy named uh, Absalom. Amon is from one of his wives, and Absalom's from another. Absalom has a, has a sister named Tamar. Amon falls in love with Tamar. Amon then said, this is all in David's home, who we all go, I'd love to be like David. <clears throat> Take that family. Amon says, I want to, I love Tamar. Amon says, come back to my place, Tamar, and you know, make me something to eat. When she makes him something to eat, he grabs her, takes her into the bedroom, and says, you know, I love you, blah, 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 blah and he rapes her. 
It's in David's family. Absalom finds out about this. Two years later, Absalom kills Amon. David hears from a servant that uh, all his kids are killed. All his sons are killed. He freaks out. Then he finds out it's only Amon, and he's like, okay, it's only Amon, but it's my son Amon. So Amon's dead now. Absalom now is bitter because David did nothing for two years to Amon. So he's got bitterness in his heart, and that's building up. Absalom now asks to come back. So Absalom comes back to David. When he gets back to David and he's back into the, the, the palace area, he's not allowed to see David. He's to the side, and he's kind of ticked off that he can't see David yet, you know, for I think it was a year or so. Then he goes, you know what? Forget my dad. I'm going to start judging. He goes to the city gates, and he sits out the, outside the city gates, and he starts doing what David is supposed to do, which is judge over these people. And he starts saying, my dad's busy. Why don't you guys just let me do it? So he starts judging all, over all these people. He wins the hearts of Israel. He runs David out of Jerusalem. He takes the rest of Israel. Then he runs David out of Jerusalem. When David's leaving Jerusalem, we come across uh, David. We find him in, I think it's 2 Samuel. Yes, 2 Samuel. And it's chapter 16, verse 5. And this is what's happening to David. As King David approached Baharum, a man from the, na from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shemiah, son of Gera. He cursed as he came out. Now, this was a man from Saul's lineage. Now, David took over after Saul. Saul was first king, then he was killed, then David. So this guy comes out. David's fleeing from Jerusalem, going through this valley. This guy's standing on the hill named, named Shemiah, Saul's relative. And he starts yelling at him. And he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and all the special ground, all the special guard were on David's right and left. So he's got his, all his troops around him. And he began cursing. And he said, get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you've shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have, you've reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. What he's saying is, you killed my heir. You killed the king. We were supposed to have the kingdom and you killed him and you took it. And that's wrong, by the way, because David didn't kill him. He was killed in battle, him and his son Jonathan. But this guy's saying, David, you killed him. Then Abishai, son of Zerui, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. The, 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 one of David's mighty men go, man, let me go take this punk out. But the king says, what do I have in common with you, Zuria? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all of his officials, My son Absalom, who's my very own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord told him to do it. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. This man is cursing David, the king. He's pelting the army with these stones. And David says, in his time of distress, when Absalom's trying to kill him, and this Benjamite is accusing him of things he didn't do, 
leave him alone. Maybe even in my distress, God will bring good to me. First thing King David teaches us is this. Our response determines our ability to grow. You can react to a situation, and it's negative. Or you can respond, and it's positive and righteous. To react and yell back, I just looked at a Facebook video before I came. I shouldn't have done it. Um, a, a lady's yelling at a guy in a convenience store, and they're explicit of words and stuff like that, and they're yelling back and forth. She was reacting to his abuse to her. Responses, shutting your mouth and being quiet and giving it to God. How you respond, letting God do it, or you can react, and you can try and solve the situation. The distress you may be going through is an opportunity for God's goodness and time of producing perseverance, character, and hope inside you. The second king is King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was king of Judah. Didn't have as much messed up in his family as David, but he had a problem. And he's watching these Assyrians take all of Israel, take off the Israelites. Sorry, the Israelites now were ten tribes. Two tribes went to Judah. The rest went up to, to Israel. The Israelites are taken over by the Assyrian king and get taken off in, in, into Assyria and, you know, were taken captive. And then this Assyrian king comes down and takes out all the fortified cities of Judah. And then when he comes to Jerusalem, Hezekiah, the king, is held up in Jerusalem. And so we find in 2 Kings chapter 18... The king sends down some of his commanders and some of his officials to, and I don't know if it follows me, but so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but just stick with me. Um, he sends some of his officials to come and uh, give an opportunity for Hezekiah to come out of Jerusalem. And this guy that begins speaking says this. It says, and I'll just read through. In verse 19, it says, the field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah this. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence? And then the next verse. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? And then verse 22. And if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God, what other army has held up with their God? They've all tried, but they've all been defeated. Even the Israelites who said it's their God have been defeated. He says, come on, make a bargain with me. Come on out, do this thing. And he's discouraging the whole group. Well, there's a lot of guys up on the wall. So one of Hezekiah's men says this. He says, can you just be quiet? We speak Aramaic. You're freaking our guys out up here. You're supposed to be just speaking to me. So speak to me in Aramaic and not Hebrew. And he goes, because they're hearing what you're saying. And the commander of the Assyrian army says this. Was it only to your master and to you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the men on the wall who, like you, cover your ears, will have to eat their own <clears throat> filth and drink their own urine? That's in the Bible. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you guys. And he keeps speaking in Hebrew. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Syria. Or do not listen to Hezekiah, for he's misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. 
has the God of any other nation actually ever delivered any of these other kings? I've heard this before, that same thing, that same question that someone was asking. It reminds me of Eve in the garden. Did God really say, did God really say that you can't eat of this? Did God really say you're going to surely die? Remember when we come into our issues of life, the questions that will come to our mind? That's just, that's just free. That's, that's not part of this. That's just a side thing. But remember that. That's, that's just a question. But you get to give an answer and say, no, my Lord will deliver me. After this, they gave the response. They said, nope, we're going to stay here. Then the king of Assyria sends another letter to Hezekiah. And this is what, ha- this is what the point is. When Hezekiah, in, ver- in chapter 19, verse 14, when Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and read it, then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. When he received the bad news, how did Hezekiah respond? He went to the temple. He read it. He knew he had the news. He didn't, he didn't discount the news. He spread it out before God, and he said, surely you will help us. In verse 19, he says, Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from this hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are Lord our God. The reason you're delivered through something is not for your deliverance. I am sorry, but it's not for your purpose. I'm sorry if you're, if, like for us, if it's a restored relationship, it's not for me. If it's um, a restored marriage, it's not for me. It's that God may be glorified. The reason you get your healing is that God may be glorified. The reason that a relationship's restored is that God may be glorified. Everything we do is towards God's glory. If it's anything else, it's towards our glory. So everything that happens is for God's glory. God loves that. Isaiah actually prays something for a long time. And then it says in verse 35, it says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 Assyrians. What did Hezekiah teach us? Hezekiah teaches us, King Hezekiah teaches us, to spread our issues before the Lord and don't carry them ourselves. Because when we, can, when we do something, God doesn't get the glory. But when we spread it out before God, only God gets the glory. Because we don't do anything to do it. We stop, we shut our mouth, and we don't do anything else. You know, Hezekiah could have cried and wailed over it. He could have told everyone else about his problem. said, I got this problem with the Assyrian king. Anybody help me? He could have moped and complained that others have it better than him. Well, this guy over here doesn't have this big army coming after him. But he physically spread it out. I am not saying don't call on the church to pray for you. But go to God first. Take your issue to God first and watch him move on your behalf. And your testimony will be, I prayed and he did it for me. He took out this king. He took out this issue. King Hezekiah teaches us to spread our issue before the Lord. The last one is King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was also king of Judah. Again, he went into battle with a guy named Ahab, the king of Israel. The king of Israel, uh, Israel and Judah were actually kingdoms at the time. King of Israel comes down named Ahab, says, Jehoshaphat, will you go into battle with me? Jehoshaphat says, well, let's take it before God. They take it before 400 different um, prophets that just lied to him, just said, yeah, have a good day. You're going to win. 
Jehoshaphat says, isn't there someone here that actually is a prophet of God? And they said, well, there's this, Ahab says, there's a guy named Micaiah. Micaiah prophesies, yeah, you're going to win. And Ahab goes, this guy always lies. And Jehoshaphat goes, fine, you're going to lose and you're going to die, actually, but don't hold me accountable. Well, he holds him accountable. Jeho- he sends him to jail. Micaiah sends Micaiah to jail. And Ahab and Jehoshaphat go out to battle. Ahab is not killed in the battle right then, but Jehoshaphat, I think he actually was. And then Jehoshaphat has the king's wardrobes on for the Israeli king, but he's not really the Israeli king. And right when they're ready to kill him, he cries out, God, please save me. So God saves him. Then Jehoshaphat goes, yeah, I can do that again. Puts a lot of judges in place, put a lot of priests in place throughout of all Judah, Judah, Judah. And then the Ammonites and the Moabites come out to do battle with him. And Jehoshaphat learned from the previous time, and he goes, learn the first time, and this is what I'm going to do. Alarmed, he immediately inquired of God, what do I do? And then verse 9 in 2 Chronicles 20 says this. It says, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, just kind of fit yourself in here somewhere, or plague, coronavirus, or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in, your, in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. And you skip down a little bit further. In verse 12, he says, we do not know what to do, but we keep our eyes on you. Right after he prays that, and he tells God, I'm in distress, and he doesn't go to everybody else and ask them, what should we do? He immediately takes it before the Lord. This guy named Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, um, says this. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he says to Jehoshaphat and to all who were living in Judea, he says, this is what the Lord says in verse 15. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Huh, sounds like Joshua. Because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours, It's the Lord's. And then he goes on to say, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm. So he tells them to do something. Take up your position and stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Man, God really wants to get that through to us. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. He told them to do something. He told them to take an action. He said, take up your positions and stand firm. But you know what they did when they took up their positions and they stood firm? They worshiped God. They worshiped. We sing this song, this is how I do my battle. I just want to know, just ask yourself, is that really how you do your battle? I don't all the time. I react sometimes. I have to ask for forgiveness to many people sometimes. But how do we do our battle? We do it in worship and go, God, you deliver me for this. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to do for me because you said you're going to do it because it's in your word and I'm reading your manual. They went out the next day after they worshiped. It says, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and, and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies laying on the ground. No one had escaped. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it all. They had thousands 
Probably 100,000 people helping collect this. And it took three days to collect all the plunder of the Amorites and the Moabites. I think they did all right. I think God gave them back more than they had lost. What does Jehoshaphat teach us? That the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. We don't have to do anything except for give him worship. To kind of end with this, and then I'm going to ask Laura to come up. But when in distress and suffering, we are to act like kings. We are kings and priests, the Bible says. Let's begin acting like it. I'm speaking to me. I'm not speaking to you. I'm totally speaking to me. Like King David, our response determines our ability to grow. Like King Hezekiah, we spread our distress and issues before the Lord. And like King Jehoshaphat, we recognize the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. See, that's what happened with me when I walked through that example with my daughter. I learned that I needed to respond properly before my daughter, but also by listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying for me to change and do. I had to take action and get on my face and cry out to God and lay it before him. And then I had to, after he says, it's going to be okay, I had to let him do the battle. And I could not bring a tool or an idea or thought to rebuilding this relationship. I had to let him do it. And when in distress and struggles, we all like kings, we all need to act like kings. You know what's really cool about this? Is my wife and I were asked to speak today. And she has the exact same word that I have. And I've asked her to come up and give the, it's not the great but how, because she doesn't do great but how, but and how do you do this from here on forward? This is my wife, Laura. Thanks so much. Um, I, I'm going to call it a great but how. That's because I think that's awesome. Um, but I definitely have more the practical side um, of unfolding how, how to walk this. Um, a few months ago, my husband uh, was speaking about stepping out and stepping up. And he used me as an example of joining the worship team um, because that's so out of character for me to be up in front of people. And uh, what he said was, Laura likes her Laura space. Laura likes her Laura space. I, I really do like my Laura space. It's really comfortable. It fits me and only me. Um, it's probably wrapped in memory foam. I don't know. It's just really, it's just really all right. Um, no, it's a familiar saying um, that we've all heard about staying in your lane. Um, it's good for organizational purposes and knowing um, who's doing what. Uh, but without stretching beyond our boundaries, staying in our lane creates a rut. Uh, repetition creates ruts. Ruts are a place of familiarity and convenience that also leads to sufficiency and complacency. Staying we were, where we are at is comfortable, but getting out of a rut is hard. It, it takes some effort. It can get messy. Um, sometimes it doesn't work right away, but if we keep at it, if we keep pressing through um, with the grace of God and, and knowing that he is for us, then it's possible. Sometimes we might think that the difficulties we're going through is because we did something wrong. Um, 
I sinned, I didn't obey, I, I must have done something wrong because life isn't working. But um, if, if we're doing everything correctly, that's, that's, not, that's not where, um, where it's at. Um, because we think, oh, if I do it right, it's gonna be smooth sailing. But in fact, um, God does not keep us where we're at in our comfort zone, in our lane. He knows our potential because he put things inside of us to be discovered, to be developed, and then distributed. Okay? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Ahead of time, before time began, God created those things. And he created us for such a time as these to walk in them. He's given us the capacity to fulfill his plans for us. It's already in us, but it needs to be developed in order for it to be seen. What you go through is what you can grow through. It's an opportunity. God takes you through uncomfortable seasons that you're not used to and you don't feel qualified for in order to grow you, but you need to make ready for it. Okay, you, have, you have some steps that you can take in order to be prepared when God says, shows up and says now. In Isaiah 50, uh, sorry, uh, 54.2, uh, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your curtains wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. That's going to take a little effort. It's preparation. It's, it's the advent. Okay, we're preparing for what God has for us. It takes action and effort, and it needs you to set your hand and your heart to it. If I'm experiencing discomfort, and I either don't think that I can do something, or I just plain don't want to want to um, put myself to it because it's unpleasant, um, I have a choice to make. I can either stay where I'm at or I can see where I can grow. Um, I've been a part of a workout group for a few years now and um, every couple of months or so uh, our coach says, so what's your goal for this time? And, you know, there's always that, oh, drink more water or um, eat my vegetables, you know, more of those, more fruits and vegetables, um, get good sleep, be consistent. So those are all, you know, things that we've, we've all used throughout um, the course of the workout. And uh, this last time that we went through, uh, I said, I don't know, I wanted to come up with, up with something different. So I said, um, I want to build more muscle. And she said, great. Great, we're gonna add some weight. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't think that's really my goal. I just wanted to say something different. Says, no, no, no. That's great. You grab some heavier weights. You might have to take it slower. You may not be able to make it through the whole time, but grab those weights. I didn't want to add the weight. I, I liked what I already did because I, I knew I could handle it. I'd already been through it. I can handle it. It, it didn't feel awesome, but I, I knew I could do it. So it was comfortable. But in order to grow and develop, I had to get okay with being very 
uncomfortable. It's okay to feel something anxious or nervous or strain, but the physical and the mental aspects don't need to override the spiritual development and the spiritual calling inside of you that declares you're a triumphant child of God and you were made to do these things. You have a purpose on this earth. Uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Because your triumph isn't ultimately about you. It's about him. It's about his goodness and showing his faithfulness to us and his faithfulness to his word. His word is true. It's to show you and others how great he is. If I'm not willing to take a risk and be uncomfortable, then I'm not becoming more like Jesus. I'm becoming more like myself. Uh, Ephesians 3:16 through 20 says, I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and how far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you're filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imaginations. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So don't, press, don't hold back from pressing in or stretching yourself, because the victory in store is what he will use to bring glory to himself. Your growth brings attention to him, and it increases your faith and prepares you for even greater things. Finally, um, for my, my visual learners out there, um, this snow globe. Okay, so it's, it's pretty as it is. If it just sat there on the shelf, it would look nice. It would look put together. Okay, but when I add the turbulence and see what's stirred up, okay, that's what it was made for. It was made to reflect this beauty all along. It's even greater beauty. It reflects, it shines, it sparkles. It shines the most when it gets shaken up. We're made to do this. We're made to do this. We discover our potential and what we are made to be when we go through the process of being shaken. We sang earlier about being pressed and crushed. This is the process. It's nothing to be afraid of. God's with us. God is our God. We are his people. 
I am my beloved and he is mine, okay? Do we, do we believe it? Then it's okay to feel things. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel shaken. Use that to go to God and say, I'm here for you and I know you're here for me. I know you have an answer. Those uncomfortable moments reveal what it is that we were made for. Could you all stand with me? Um, If you feel comfortable or uncomfortable, (laughs) if you could just uh, put your heart and maybe posture yourself to receive. Um, This is a blessing from God's word out of Colossians 1, 9 through 12. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, letting, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Father, we want to be everything that you made us to be. Show us where you want us to trust and grow, even if it's difficult, so we can be made more like you and to be used by you and stretched by you, God, that you can be glorified in the process. You take us from strength to strength, Lord, and we trust you in that. You are for us, and you have success planned for us. And we say yes to your plan. In Jesus' name. God is good all the time. Amen? Thank you, Derek and Laura. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Thank you for sharing the word with us. I would like to invite the prayer team. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.